build business with passion and let data tell your story. If you are a founder having difficulties handling investors' curveball questions, or an investor wondering how to find the next golden startup deal, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Parul, your host for this episode of the Dudash Investability Podcast. Okay, welcome everybody for this second edition of Nikhil's Investor Lounge. That's my Investor Lounge. I'm Nikhil Madan, and I'm a founder, co-founder of Doodash Capital Networks. So let me quickly give you a brief about Doodash. I mean, most of you out who are here, your biggest challenge is to raise capital. I mean, there's there's less than point one point oh, less than one percent of people actually end up raising capital, not because that their their businesses are not good or their startup is not 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 good. It's it's predominantly because their data assets are not sufficiently, then they're not really good enough to invoke, create trust with the investors. So uh, we welcome you to join us on our, in our community where you'll be able to potentially learn the fundraising, the nuts and bolts of fundraising through free education, through community intelligence. You could potentially also make your businesses investor ready through expert feedback. There are plenty of experts out there on the community platform. And of course, investors note you, notice you through our global community events, which are like this one. We talked about the community. Community is, is free for you to join, but what is exactly we are doing? What exactly is Dudash doing? We are building out an investability platform so that you are able to access over 42,000 investors who are part of this, this journey with us. If you want to go ahead, join the waiting list to get your access to the private beta. And in case, share it with your founder friends or your investment in the investor friends, and potentially you bump up your chances to uh, get get an early access uh, to the to the investability platform. In addition to that, uh, what we what we invite you to take make use of over twenty five thousand dollars of benefits which are there on the platform, which are essentially credits coming from from people like AWS or several other service providers, which are out there for you to use, they're all free. And the best part is all you have to do is to send in your pitch deck and you're good to go. This is, this is the list of, or some of the partners that we work with and uh, see whatever benefits you can utilize and uh, we can uh, uh, take a moment from here. And if you have any further questions, reach out to Michael, he's out there supporting me. And uh, and let's get started with a real star of the show, Kyle. So Kyle, uh, thank you very much. I mean, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. <clears throat> so Kyle, uh, thank you very much for joining in today uh, and talking about MDI Ventures. 
I would begin by asking you one very easy question. What is MDI Ventures and what do you invest in? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Nikhil. I really appreciate it. Um, so MDI Ventures is the corporate venture capital arm of Telkom Indonesia. Telkom Indonesia is Indonesia's largest state-owned entity. We're also one of the largest conglomerates in Southeast Asia. Um, we do almost everything. Um, we most notably known for the largest telecom within the region, but we're in healthcare, logistics, fintech, enterprise software, or even in space solutions. So we do absolutely everything. We also have a broader mandate to help all other state-owned entities, which is over 200 within Indonesia. And our, our primary objective is trying to find ways in which we can work with outside technology companies, whether that's in Southeast Asia or anywhere outside around the world that could benefit the group. Either we become a customer of, a reseller of, some form of partnership. Um, but our goal is to work with the best technology in almost every single one of these categories that I mentioned. And we have the flexibility to do that. We have um, almost $850 million under management. We can write almost any check size um, from the earliest stages to the latest stages. Our goal is really looking at... Uh, synergy and how we can uh, mutually benefit by working with us. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, do you have any specific preference other than uh, fintech, telecom related, or you're pretty much uh, sector agnostic? I argue that we're sector agnostic. Currently, we're looking at healthcare, agriculture, logistics, and fintech solutions. Okay. Awesome. Hey, guys, make a note. He's looking for agriculture, fintech, and what else did you mention? I'm sorry. <laughs> agriculture, fintech, logistics, healthcare. Logistics and? Healthcare. Healthcare. All right. So if we have healthcare founders on the, pla on the platform, keep shooting your questions. Okay. Um, Kyle, I'm going to ask you some question, which is essentially to understand. <laughs> How often do you get pitched? How? Uh, you know, it's really interesting. Um, we take a different approach. Uh, we don't uh, as much or as often on a daily basis listen to technology companies um, pitch their company or their startup. Uh, we, we, the problem that we have is you know, we, we're looking at every startup across some of the biggest, you know, industries globally and chasing some of the best technology solutions that us. Um, and for us, we actually spend more time researching and looking at every company and doing our own research and every company that exists globally and then finding the ones that I think would better fit. So I would, I would argue our strategy is slightly different, at least mine for outward facing. Uh, to look um, uh, for looking at companies outside of Southeast Asia, our seed stage team within Indonesia investing in only Indonesia typically tends to make those you know almost daily uh, meetings with startups that are just you know coming up and kind of filtering through what are the new companies that exist that we're not really aware of in the ecosystem yet. So I don't. Hopefully that that answers the question. Yeah, that does. That thank thank that does. Thank you for that. <clears throat> uh, 
Now that's about MDI and, and, and I think we're getting a good picture about MDI. But mm. tell us, how's Kyle as a person? I'm still alive, doing well, can't complain. So uh, how, how difficult is it to access you? <laughs> you can, I mean, I, I'm uh, pretty easy to, to reach out to if you connect with me on LinkedIn or uh, uh, you can always shoot me an email. Um, I'll, I'll read it. Um, the, um, um, yeah, the, the challenge that for specifically the job speaking, my roles and the challenge that I have on a daily basis is my role is I have to convince my boss or my board or the board of directors of the telecom group, what are the technology solutions that they should be working with. And I only actually get to meet them on a, on a, either bi-weekly or monthly basis. So I have to have a really compelling answer every time they chat with me about what is the best companies that they should work with. And, um, and I'm, I'm kind of the filter uh, for them on uh, the gatekeeper, unfortunately. But the, uh, a lot of my job and my day in and day out is uh, looking at spreadsheets and spreadsheets of thousands and thousands of companies, whether it's in, in specific industry or others, and then kind of making that uh, building report and then making a case internally about the companies that we should be talking to. Um, so th- it's, a, it's a lot of research, I would say. Outside of that, sometimes I go surfing. So it's nice. So you're, you're on the West Coast? Yes, in Los Angeles. Okay. All right. <clears throat> So what kind of books do you read? What's been the recent book that you've read? That's a good question. I haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't really been looking at uh, a lot of books because I've been um, doing kind of like a, a, a degree on the side, which is uh, just a um, certified financial analyst role. So I don't even have time but to, to read. But lately I've been big into... Um, a lot of Jordan Peterson's work. Uh, just he has got a lot of philo- you know philosophical books, ways that you can better improve yourself. Um, just different perspectives that you can have on the world. I, I really enjoy those. I haven't. I'm to be honest with you though. I'm not. I'm not a huge reader. I'm not actively. Maybe I should be. Uh, I but uh, but uh, a lot of times I think I, I I'm a big. Maybe, I don't know if this is younger generation or not, but I'm a big YouTuber. I enjoy people that put a lot of time and effort into creating content visually, being able to share that and create a story, whether it's for entertainment, education, or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. Not, not any recent books. Who inspires you? Oh, my gosh. That's a good question. I never even thought of that. Uh... <clears throat> hmm. Wow, that is a good question. I never thought I didn't even think about it. I guess who inspires me lately? Honestly, to be honest, I think you can really pull depending on like, you know, it's like kind of saying like, you know, what's your favorite movie? Sometimes it's it's uh I feel like uh it's like whatever you're watching or currently in the moment, what are you inspired by? And I think it it should be a really actually but one of the people that I'm inspired by lately is Mark. 
he's actually in the music industry. He diff, he's he's interesting because he came from uh, Texas, and all he does is he uh, freestyles. He just makes music up on the spot, and it tends to be super weird, and really ridiculous. Um, but the reason why I liked him is because he kind of has the story of, um, you know. For over 10 years, has been doing something that he doesn't necessarily like to do, works various odd jobs and really kind of struggled to figure out that sweet spot and where he wants to excel within the music industry. And then, you know, through, I think, very unique ways and grit, he's kind of figured out how to build his own audience and build his own, you know, traction. And five years ago, he was nobody singing in the edge of a bar. And, you know, you would never think of anything of him. And then today he's world tours and you know he's meeting some of the biggest celebrities in the world and when he when you actually see people interview him it's really interesting to see the amount of work and effort that he did to get to that point you think he's an overnight success but this is 15 years in the making i think that translates to a lot of things whether you're building a company whether you're working on something personally whether it is something that is in a different field so i'd say he's currently my inspiration I don't know if that's, you know, it's not as interesting or as cool as an individual as maybe other people thought, but yeah. Yeah, so inspiration can, is also transient, no? At different stages yeah. of life and different walks of uh, the where we stand in terms of our, our professional scenarios, isn't it? What CEO do you follow on a regular basis other than your own? <laughs> yeah. I think there's the CEOs you don't have an option to follow, which is like Elon Musk. You just hear him in the news and that's, mm. but, um, you know, a lot of, cause when I do a lot of the research that I do, I map out industries I look at companies from around the world. I figure out what are some of the best, most innovative companies per industry, um, whether it's cybersecurity, healthcare, et cetera. And I connect with a lot of the founders to be able to con- understand not only about their product, get feedback on my research, uh, but that allows me that connection kind of allows me to follow their roadmap. And uh, one of the CEOs uh, that I connected with recent or about a year ago was Medically Home, which is a healthcare um, that I am pretty fond of the founder and this very inspirational. Um, his his father ended up dying in the hospital from a medical error. Um, his father was able to survive some of the atrocities, wars, and um, and uh, things in the past. And the one thing he couldn't survive was a medical mistake in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of dedicated his life work into innovating how you can offer acute care services um, in a way that benefits everybody, not only the patient, but also the hospital, the payers. And just something that can work universally around the world. And seeing some such a challenging problem that they've been working on for years, uh, now finally hitting the cusp just this year of getting the validation that they need from some of the largest hospitals, at least in the United States, and kind of growing. I, I follow him maybe more of at a distance. We don't talk on a regular basis, but I, I followed him just to see kind of the evolution of his company and uh, the story that he's had and the impact that he's making. And a lot of so it's um, Raphael is the now executive chairman, but he was the CEO that I followed recently. I would say. Mm-hmm. I have. Uh, I mean, I'm going to ask you some very stupid question if it's all right with you. Um, of course, ask away. What's What's the funniest pitch that you've ever heard so far? Uh, 
the funniest? Hmm. You know, there's there is a lot of interesting ones. Um, I, I on the funny side, I mean, there's some weird weird products that exist today. But I would say maybe the most shocking uh, that I handed to was actually one of the first pitch meetings I ever had. It was about seven years ago, and it was a founder who figured out how to predict earthquakes to the exact location, time, and size. Uh, and at the time, I worked for a Japanese company or Japanese investment firm. And if you know, Japan has a lot of earthquakes. It's a very big problem. A lot of people get hurt. And so when he was pitching to us, uh, it, you know, his idea of this product was not to give it to the public or allow the public to access this information, but to be able to sell this to insurance or, hedge, you know, insurance providers or hedge funds so that they can hedge against earthquakes in these events. I don't know if the technology actually worked or not. It was still kind of relatively early stage. But uh, as you could tell, between our founder who wants to something like this thing should be public and him, it became a pretty heated debate, almost a yelling match. And then we were based in California at the time. And if you know, California especially uh, is built kind of close to a fault and has earthquakes and has had big earthquakes in the past. So he was, we, we decided to end the meeting Neither of them wanted to talk to each other. As he was walking out the door, he turned around to us and he's like, he told us, well, there's going to be an earthquake here in a couple of years and you're not going to know about it. He slams the door on us. <laughs> so I guess we will never know the earthquake that may happen in California. But um, but yeah, that was the, I would say that was the craziest. I don't know if that counts as funny, uh, but funny to look back on, but um, absolutely crazy. You'll be surprised when you talk about earthquakes because... I, I studied in California, I mean, and, mm. and the fault line runs right under our stadium, the Cal Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's, um, but again, I don't know, we didn't have to do diligence beyond that if he actually could or could not predict, and I don't think he would be able to, but, um, but yeah. So it's, what exactly, so why do you still remember him for, for his uh, intemperate remarks or why exactly? It was, uh, yeah, it was just the setting. I mean, we're talking about people's faces red, almost thrown in a meeting. Uh, and it, it almost got to a boiling point. And it was more or less the intensity, the actual conversation. I don't know if that, uh, um, that may not be. I, I would say that if you don't think there's an investor that's a good fit for you, don't get into a yelling match. It doesn't benefit anybody uh, on both sides. So, so needless to say, he never got his second meeting with you guys. No, well, I don't think he wanted to meet with us again, and our our founder didn't didn't want to meet with him either. So, yeah, yeah makes sense, total sense. So, what I mean, founders. Be respectful to you, to any investors. You know, you never know when you're gonna meet them again. <clears throat> you would be surprised. Uh, even though it's a big ecosystem, it is still very small, and you're gonna run into the same people over and over again. So, uh, just even if some people are, there are. I, I'd be honest with you. There are some investors, absolute jerks, and there's some founders that are jerks for no reason, and they can really get under your skin. But you will run into them. You might sit in a panel next to him. You might run into him to a private event. You might have to participate in the same thing. Maybe uh, you might need to help each other one time. So I would I would swallow your pride. 
you know, you could avoid people, but I would always try to, I would recommend not to burn bridges if you're Absolutely. dedicated to be a startup ecosystem. I mean, it's, 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 you run a, a, a fund, <clears throat> a structured fund, and we uh, invest as in business angel, me and my, my partner. Uh, mm. You would be surprised. We, uh, we, we get pitched often and, uh, and often it is, it's, it's from a standpoint of entitlement. Just because I'm building mm. something, you need to pay me. That's something mm. which we've seen. I wouldn't say it happens all the time, but uh, with an f- alarming amount of regularity. I and mean, it's surprising. <clears throat> really? Funny. I mean, I could see every it. time we read about an earthquake, I'm sure people are going to remember this founder. <laughs> see yeah. So oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm gonna just uh, flip to a very uh, uh, very specific to some of your uh, uh, your experiences that you've gathered all these years, and and uh, mm. the question which I would ask you here is what exactly? And I'm sure you've met so many people and you've written checks to people. What is an entrepreneur mindset? which you recognize that is different from the rest, which basically helps you predict that this person or team is, is uh, should we fund or not? What exactly, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, to give perspective for my just MDI over the last two years, I physically mapped, like I've written in a spreadsheet, over 22,700 companies from 10 different industries. I've written almost uh, 2,000 pages, like physically writing about what makes them the best companies, how they differentiate and what's interesting. And then I've connected probably with almost 1,000, maybe 1,500 founders that I think are really impressive. Um, One of the things that I learned, one, I've seen founders that come from nowhere and be successful. I've seen founders that have worked in an industry for a very long time, understand everything about that product and the best companies in the world found success. I've seen people go to Ivy League schools and find success. I have people, you know, not even have a college degree and have success. So you can find success in any entrepreneur. Uh, what, what are the people that tend to do really well? Um, I spend all my trying to understand an industry more than, or at least as much under, if not more. Um, and I, I think the founders that really stand out, just they have a really good, there's the first aspect is they, and I think this is probably very important too, is they have a really, really, really good understanding and grasp of what they're actually trying to, you know, if I'm building a product for a specific industry, Let's say it's for agriculture. And they truly understand the dynamics of the industry, how the business works, the customers that do exist. Like, what is the actual problem, the problem that does exist and why that is a problem, how they can get on top of that, whether or not they can build the perfect product today or tomorrow or sometime in the future. I mean, having a very good understanding of what they're trying to accomplish versus like, hey, I think it would be cool to start a, you know, a farm analytics company and you know people would buy it because it's innovative that's not always innovation doesn't mean that there's going to be success um 
So people that, that's one. And then two, the other aspect is resilience. The one thing that I really like about entrepreneurs is that it's a blessing and it's a curse. Say it because uh, you have to be able to go, you really have, some of the founders will go the extra mile to see the company become a success. You know, yes, there's the standard market fluctuates and there's sometimes there's good times and bad. Sometimes it requires you to put a lot of extra hours of work. I don't, working hard is the challenging point, by the way. I don't think like, if you work 100 hours a week, you know, can you do it or not? I think people can do that. I think the challenge actually comes when you have to make sacrifices. Are you going to pick time over your family? Are you going to prioritize your company over a personal event in your life? Are you going to, you know, if you get a thousand no's in a day, you know, are you going to give up because you just kind of feel like you're not necessarily, um, you know, feeling that, um, uh, uh, you know, th th there's an actual fit for your product. A, a good example, and I'll go back to the, the founder that I, or the CEO that I'm following, Raphael, who's building that healthcare company. Uh, his father was killed in a hospital. He wanted to change that. And he did everything in his power to try to convince what I think is the most difficult ecosystem to break into, which is healthcare. Almost impossible. To completely change and disrupt hospitals. He wants to remove hospital buildings. They, they no longer exist. By building virtual beds, high acute care, which is, again, these are people that are on the verge of dying, but not actually going to die. They just need serious medical attention. Can you move that into the home? He had this idea and pitched it to hospitals five, six, eight years ago. And nobody's going to be, no one was interested. They're like, good luck. Providers, I mean, hospitals won't even talk to him. So he built his own hospital in East Coast, in New York. So the resilience to be able to figure out, one, how to do something like that, and then be able to execute on your mission and then see results and prove out that what you believe in and the vision you have, there's a product market fit for it. Yes, there's iterations on the process. You can't be blindly dumb and run into an industry and think you can do whatever you want and you know that you have to get feedback from the market and kind of iterate your product. Um, and then... After that, continue to call hospitals around the country and still receive tons of rejection, even though he's uh, improved his product only to get a couple hospitals to jump on board that really um, figure out how to write, find the sweet spot. Now, every the largest hospitals in the world are, you know, working with them to the, even the government of the United States is, is uh, rolling out their product in different states in the country. And then after this, you're going to start seeing them go a little bit more global. But it's resilience. It is this ability to, and the reason why I say it was a, a, this blessing and the curse is the second half beyond just understanding your ecosystem very well and why you're building the product is it's a blessing because it gives you that motivation to really carry through when things are hard, but it is a curse because a lot of times you're going to be faced in a situation where you have to make sacrifices. And the sacrifices aren't pleasant. It's not sleepless nights. It's can you tell your wife? Qualitative you investor relations are the basis for future success. Visit u-dash.com to learn more. And for more episodes, subscribe to our channel. Miss a children event of yours because you have something that you, you, you're working on. If you can find the balance, great. And I recommend finding balance. Don't overtax yourself and ruin your life personally. But, um, if you can carry through it and if you have that weird time that will force that, that's... That's something that we see in some of the most impressive today. 
sometimes you don't have to get to that point, but um, this drive is is really interesting. So thank thank you very much for this. I think this is very insightful, <clears throat> uh, and I'm sure uh, uh, my my fellow founders on the on 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 the platform are listening to this and probably making their own know exactly what to do. And this is pretty inspirational, you know. I don't find a if I don't find uh, fundraising this way, I'm going to go down that way. So that's that's what you call pivot, right? That's amazing, yeah. amazing. And this one was a big one. Yeah. Um, I I have if you don't mind, I'm going to also start taking some questions from the audience here. Yeah, of and course. There's one question coming in from uh, Avdesh Sharma, and he says, "What is more important for investors, business idea or team?" Typically, at the early stages, it tends to gravitate towards the team. Um, you know, you there's so many people that have great ideas. Even myself included, I think I have great ideas, but it doesn't mean I can execute on them. But, uh, there's a lot of, I would say, wishful thinking about what is possible. Um, but more times out of not many of the investor meetings that I've been in with myself or my team or other VCs, um, a lot of times they're going to bet on the team that has been proven that they know what they're doing and why this is a problem and whether or not they can actually execute on a problem like this. Um, and is a little bit more realistic of the challenges ahead and how to project, you know, their growth and the requirements that's needed as opposed to someone that says you can build anything, everything is possible. And here's the hockey stick. It's just, uh, it's, it tends to gravitate towards the team. I would later stages, uh, it, it is a team is still a very huge part in the success of the company, but figure out if there's a product market fit and the, the business model is a great fit, it, especially as you kind of carry into series C plus um, and, and seeing whether or not the company can sustain itself long-term, you want to really make sure that, that there's a business model that to fit, but uh, that's not really as important team tends to overall tends to be the most important across all stages of the company. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, there's another question from Ramon Himnes, and he's asking you, can you explain how corporate venture is different than the venture capital? And should entrepreneurs pursue corporate ventures? Yeah, so how it's different, it depends on the corporate venture fund. There's a spectrum, I would say. There's corporate venture funds that act as a traditional venture fund. It's just that they, their biggest LP is a corporation. So, for example, Sapphire Ventures, their big is SAP, uh, but they don't. None of their portfolio, nor is their mandate to connect their investments with SAP. They just have a, SAP's their single LP, and so they just run that fund uh, how they would be a traditional fund. On the other side of the spectrum, there's people like us who tend to be more of, we can't nor won't make an investment unless we know that there is synergy that we could build with the business group. And so when you look at that on the outside in, you know, um, getting investment from a corporation, I think there's a great signaling play. You know, it's, it's, it's validation. A corporation really believes in your product. It's, it's fantastic. And I think you, um, that's some, there's, there's a signaling play in that. 
side of the spectrum, you know, corporations, I think, can be really beneficial. I think there's investors that don't like the idea of corporations investing in directly into startups. Uh, but the difference between us and, let's say, a traditional fund is a traditional fund will try to, you know, they give the advisory, the support, and then try to introduce you to their partners and customers that they know that could be a customer of yours and help grow your company. For us, we have a direct impact on ways in which we can try to help grow our com- the companies we invest into. A good example, we can open up our customer base of 160 million mobile subscribers and immediately turn, you know, put $10 million on your revenue sheet. I mean, that's, that's a huge and significant change uh, that we can impact for the companies we have. Or we have access to, you know, for example, the government space program who invest billions of dollars a year um, and are trying to work with companies that think would be a good fit. We have the ability to tell the government to work directly with you. Um, and because we, we're, the government trusts us in our opinion, and we have the ability to help guide the government in working with companies that we think would be a better fit. For us, we, we think our biggest value add for corporations that tend to be on the synergy side is that they can actually add revenue to your bottom line. Um, are all corporations great? Some are. Some are wishy-washy. I mean, some are may not be helpful. Um, and I'll be honest, there's some companies that we invested in uh, early on that uh, we thought would be a good fit, and we tried, and it didn't work out. And there's not much help that we can offer beyond that. So we're, we're kind of limited as well in the support that we can provide beyond just the telecom group. So that's, um, but I, you know, I, I think CVCs are fantastic. If you get chat with any, I highly recommend it. And I think it could be very valuable long-term. And I don't think there's a good and bad working with institutional funds or corporations. I, there's a weird mix of, I think, investors that try to talk down on other investors. And I don't think that's a good thing to do. I think all investors are great in some form or fashion. And some of them offer unique perks or advice or guidance more than others. And some focus on different areas. And, and uh, a big job of the founders trying to figure out what investors might be for them. Um, mm. And that might be where Dash comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. A uh, question from Vijender Singh, and he's asking, <clears throat> how many startups are funded at ideation versus how many are funded at product level? I'm assuming this is related to your fund, not in general, because um, ideation stage... Uh, uh, I'm not sure if uh, very many get funded at ideation stage, but then I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, uh, we, as a corporation, especially for our size, and I would say most CVCs, it's very difficult to get them to buy at the earlier round. Most corporations are more conservative investors, and they like to see a little bit more traction and product market fit. And a lot of corporations, especially in Southeast Asia, don't like to be first unfortunately, which is an oxymoron where venture investors are venturing into innovative companies that could have potential, yet we're conservative about it. So I understand the dynamic. But yes, corporations, there's no ideas that end up getting funded. Sometimes, you know, it's an instance where like the former founder of Android, Andy Rubin, for example, he had the, he was going to start a phone company and we talked with him early on before he was put his own money to work and was manufacturing some phones on the side. And he was able to raise $300 million at a billion dollar valuation without ever having to release a phone. And so there, that, that exists sometimes. It's very rare. You'll have some of these, I mean, he was the founder of 
uh, you know, of Android. So it's yeah, some investors will throw money at that. Um, but, uh, you know, that company never went, really went anywhere. And time and time again, people slowly learn that it's so much more riskier just throwing money into something that hasn't found product market fit or way into the market than we should. For example, we have in SPACs, especially for the EV market and mm. a lot of the automotive space. It, mm. it's, yeah. So anyways, it's, it's less on the ideas to face. You're, not, you're never going to find money. If you do, congrats. But if you're never going to get money for an idea, unfortunately. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was my feeling as well. A follow-on question from the same gentleman. Uh, what about uh, which is a better investor? One with enormous money or the one with reach and expertise but less money? I don't think there is one that's better. I think they're equally beneficial. Um, Get them both on the cap table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have people like Tiger Global Management who's paying tons of money left and right and closing their eyes and signing term sheets and uh, investing in any company that moves. Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, if you can get someone going to be a little bit more strategic in helping you understand the ecosystem, maybe open some doors that you might not easily be able to get open. Yeah, go with that. I mean, there's no, you know, I, I think... Um, there are some investors that are going to definitely uh, try to push you into saying how much equity they want in the cap table. And there's economics behind that, by the way. It's not like they're trying to be aggressive financially. If you don't acquire a certain amount of equity in a cap table for some of the fund sizes that exist today, it's just not possible to achieve a practical return. Uh, and some people, I think, tend to think of that as people being a little bit aggressive, but these investors have to respond to their LPs. Got and it. so they have to be that. But I do think that as a founder, if you can be selective, get as many people as you can on the cap table. I think that there's no, I, I there's a lot of value in, in working with partners that can help you in different settings. And if you can get both, get both. I don't think there's one that's better over the other. Okay. There's a very interesting question coming out uh, from LinkedIn. Uh, uh, I think one of the audience uh, participant from LinkedIn is called Uda, and he's saying, "Do you invest in startups in Africa?" We do. We haven't. I would say, uh, put it this way: uh, my day in and out is. Um, I'm looking at. I literally have spreadsheets of companies that I go one by one and look at one industry at a time every month. And I look at every company that's the most innovative in the world. And I try to figure out what might be the best fit for our group. For example, we looked at healthcare last time <coughs> and we mapped out, you know, 7,000 companies globally, mostly those that have raised some form of financing that would also be at a good spot. And one of the things that you learn when you map out industries, there's certain regions of the world and certain founders that just really figured out the sweet spot. And, um, you know, we learned that uh, there was a great company that was in the data management, healthcare data management side that was out of the UK that we thought was very innovative. There was healthcare equipment that was absolutely impressive out of China that we found really impressive. There was a healthcare imagery company that was based out of Israel that really blew us away, or a couple uh, that we ended up having conversations with. There was 
companies that uh, obviously the hospital services I talked about Raphael he's based in the US on the east coast that was impressive i mean I, the, the world now one of the things that i think you have to, i think there's a change slowly happening in the venture community uh, for some of the larger funds they're becoming very data which they're building up these massive databases and they're using a handful of tools that you know can pull insights from other locations, but also um, uh, they do a lot of filtering, whether it's their own team or they add things on top of that. And they're trying to quickly get to a decision about what would be innovative companies in a particular category that they would be interested very, very fast without having to pay it's hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And there's a lot of funds that are starting to do this. And so because of that, it's... it's um, Having an awareness of your industry, your ecosystem, not only locally, but globally, is really, really, I think, because, you know, I just had a, a conversation with a company based out of Europe the other day that was looking at HR uh, uh, technology. And my biggest question is, okay, how do you differentiate or what, what makes you most unique for not only your region, but also globally? And uh, I think global world and where I think people going after companies that are going to kind of go after global opportunities, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a global company to fund success. You know, you, if you're going to be built out of Africa and you have a use case for Africa and you know, that's going to win in Africa and you don't need to go anywhere else and you can get to a sizable company before, you know, you could exit and give, you know, promise an investor some form of liquidity in the future. Do that. I mean, that's fine. There's also companies that go that route and, it's up to the investor to figure out what they'd like to participate in. Uh, do you think, you know, Africa's not, we haven't made any investments in Africa. Um, I don't know what legal team feels about corporate structures in Africa. We haven't, we haven't thought about that, but for the most part, we're very open. We can make investments. We are currently looking at companies in Africa in the agriculture side, because I think there's some innovative companies, you know, that make sense that understand the system that probably overlaps with, farmers in, in Southeast Asia and specifically Indonesia. So um, there's always an opportunity. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I hope that answer, that was a long-winded answer. No, that's, Do, that's, that's but, good. So basically what you're saying is you're not averse to investing in Africa. It's just that mm -hmm. uh, uh, really need to understand the corporate structures better <clears throat> and finding good deals, uh, which at least are, or potentially, you know, come through Doodash eventually, which have at least the data sets properly in place. So yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually have been wondering about the healthcare that you, uh, we, I just wanted to circle back briefly oh. to your health, health tech. How do you balance speed and agility with the responsibility of in, in health tech? Because it's, it's kind of, uh, health tech is a long play compared to, <clears throat> other uh, marketplaces or, or platform-driven businesses? Yeah, I think the beauty of us being a synergy-based investor is we don't necessarily have an aggressive timeline that we have to meet for mm -hmm. a liquidity event. So healthcare, yes, you're right, long sales cycles. When we look map the ecosystem, the healthcare industry actually has one of the lowest liquidity rates compared to most other industries, meaning of the companies that exist, what them actually end up exiting and that's pretty low if you compare it to you know SaaS solutions or others you know 
Um, and the reason why is there's very limited buyers. It's really complicated. Uh, you have to have a great distribution strategy. Uh, you have to figure out what, uh, you have to work through the complexities of the payer ecosystem. We've seen the rise of telemedicine be pretty quick only because, you know, you're not limited to the infrastructure of healthcare in either country. You can go fee for service market directly to consumers. And that's, that's done, you know, that's done its course, I think, but for the most part, um, you know, that's where we took healthcare in the perspective of this. And there's somebody who wants to raise capital for building an accelerator program for early stage companies. Do you think that's a VC play? They want to, could you, sorry, a venture capital program. So they just want to build an accelerator program for mm. early stage companies. Mm. Do you think it's a VC play? Mm, Unless no. you, pardon me? Normally VCs, I don't think, are putting money into accelerators. Some some are if they have a very niche focus and they're tackling, I think, an emerging category that people are not well aware of. Um, and there might that's more of a fund of fund investments. If one VCs allow that, you have to have, you know, most GP and LP agreements, there's a written structure and you can't change that off of a whim. You have to follow the road promise to LPs. I don't see a lot of VCs putting money into accelerators as often, but they are some and corporations do. Uh, our corporations most likely are more likely to be putting money into the accelerator than a traditional institutional fund. Correct. So, but in that case, then it has to be sectoral rather than uh, early stage. Uh, I mean, yeah, you could try to compete with the, some of the bigger early stage uh, companies that exist today or early stage accelerators, like whether it's Y Combinator, 500 Startups, New Chip. I mean, they um, there probably is an opportunity for that. We started an accelerator. Uh, we started many accelerators, by the way, as a corporation locally for early stage techs <laughs> within Indonesia. And running accelerators are tough. I, I mean, you're talking with it's it's one of the riskiest categories. It's really really hard to win. Um, for us, it was less about the money, and it was more about government trying to really boost the startup ecosystem locally and give those founders that tend to have a much harder time going from zero to one, uh, a better chance. Um, but um, no, I think it's tough, it, it, but it depends on the ecosystem and the purpose and um, the opportunity that you might see. Got it. So uh, this is one question from my side, uh, uh, Kyle, and that is what are the recent startup ideas that you've uh, encountered that deserve more attention? They don't seem to have caught the attention of the investors yet. Uh, any any ideas out there? Any thoughts? Uh, I think there's a ton of stuff in there. Um, there are so many companies that are going after states uh, better focused on providing either hardware, software, or a combination of the two, catering to inefficiencies and in processes. There are, you know, a handful of healthcare activities that... Um, uh, you know, need to be, I mean, they're just, because there's innovation within the space, there's an impact in human lives and there's an improvement. From an investor standpoint, I think you have to be a very specific investor to wanting to venture into that space. But I, from just generally coming as a perspective, I think it's, in, uh, it's an incredible space to be in. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, if we had an hour, I would tell you every industry, I think, what are some of the most interesting categories to go after, subcategories in every industry, because we've mapped it. We've already, we've already answered that question for ourselves, but um, we'll have to do another We'll have to do another event. We could do that. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> Michael. Make a note of it. We're going to pick uh, Kyle's uh, uh, brains on on what are the upcoming areas our founders should focus on. <clears throat> Thank you so much for that. Probably, I'm going. I have time for a last couple of questions. So uh, there's there's again a follow on question from my, one of the gentlemen who came in earlier with his set of questions. There are tons of VCs with B2C products in mind, but there are way less who want to understand the marketing and sales in B2B environment. In such case, what should be the ideal strategy for the startup for choosing the VC or investor? And I have a follow-on question with that. Yeah. Uh, um, it's really interesting because... Uh, I know we only have a couple minutes here. A best strategy is do your best to look at what is the investment thesis of the investors that you're trying to reach out to. There's generalists that, you know, their thesis is broad. There's, you know, investors that, especially if they have an industry focus, like to go after a specific vertical. It's kind of funny because we are a giant telco and all the telcos who have CVC funds from around the world, whether it's Orange or KDBI or Verizon, we all got into a room and thought, should we start a fund together? Because obviously we have the most influence as a telco and none of us could agree on the investment verticals that we want to go after because we all have very different investment thesis. And I think every individual investor has that as well. So it's really important for you to kind of figure that out and whether or not cater to that or realize that that's not the investor that's for you and try to figure out the next one. Got it. <clears throat> So, I mean, uh, again, this is going to be a very uh, basic question just towards, uh, you know, uh, closing our session. What are the kind of rookie mistakes you've seen startup founders making while approaching you? Uh, yeah, there's a handful. Uh, one, if you're doing a cold email first, I'll start there. Uh, it shouldn't be like, hi, would love to chat about my product. It's like, it's, I, there's too much I have to volume I go through a day. I can't just have a friendly conversation, even though I'd love to. And I think most investors are the same. If you have short and sweet answer on the product, you know, the technology that you built, why that's important, but also the traction that you've made, that tends to be a great, I mean, that's the investor's filter. And if you can give that information up front and not waste their time, you're, I think you're going to have more success in, in actually having a conversation with an investor and kind of following up. That's that's a really big mistake. The second mistake that I end up running into um, is again, I think there's a handful of founders that don't truly understand their industry as much as they should when they're building a product. And what do I mean by that is if I if I if you can't tell me that you know all of your competitors, I know all of them. What makes them interesting and makes them know what they're unique. I know exactly at a feature level what's what's unique about them, especially when you talk with tier one funds. You're going you're gonna to experience that. And so if you don't understand that more than I do and understand the customer more than we would understand the customer, I feel like that, that ends up being a really flat conversation. Uh, and it kind of, it's, it's detrimental because I think it shoots yourself in the foot. I mean, really, truly have an understanding about your ecosystem, how you compare it to the, the other companies within that ecosystem, why they're regionally from a timing perspective, why maybe you're the right team or 
resources you have. It's going to enable you to really kind of accelerate and build that traction that's going to find success for you and your investors. And I think if, if there's a compelling story behind that, great. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much for this. Um, before I we, we wrap up this session, I have one last question, which I'm sure a lot of people would want to hear uh, your answers to, and that would be, how should they reach you? I'll type, I'll type my email in to the chat. Yeah, that'll be great. There you go. That's, That's awesome. It's Kyle, it's Kyle at mdi.vc. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this open conversation. Uh, Likewise. Your, your insights were absolutely valuable. But thank you, Kyle. Thank you uh, for your, your time. And uh, thank you for speaking with Doodash. And uh, I'm going to take your, your offer up on speaking about the future trends of uh, businesses which you would like to see the, a lot more attention from VCs. So um, yeah, absolutely. We're going to have a separate session on that. Okay, for sure. Thank you so awesome. much, and I wish Likewise. you a good day ahead and much appreciated. No, thank you. Thank you thank everybody you for, for joining in. And if you have any questions, feel free to write to us and join our community so that you have everything that you want to know. All right. Thank you very much, and we're going to let you go. Much appreciated. Fundraising is an event, but what happens before and after that? Qualitative investor relations are the basis for future success. Visit udash.com to learn more. And for more episodes, subscribe to our channel.